his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Thanks for joining me on Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week, we're going to find out where there is an upcoming job fair. We're also going to get some good nutrition tips as we head in to the month of April. And April is Autism Awareness and Acceptance Month. We're going to hear about details on the Autism in Courts Task Force happening here across the Commonwealth. And we're also going to start off by introducing you to Amy Kelly. She's the National Director of Family Engagement at Devereaux. She is also the mom of a child with autism. Amy, very nice to have you here joining us today. And we're moving into the month of April. And I know in speaking with other folks from Devereaux that autism is very important in your program, autism services. Can you give us a little bit of a background on where you fit into all of that? Sure, sure. Thanks for having me, Paula. Yes, my name is Amy Kelly, and I am um, National Director of Family Engagement at Devereaux. I um, serve to help families sort of navigate services and systems of care. It's one of my roles. I live and breathe autism every day because I also have a 20-year-old daughter with profound autism. She needs you know, 24-7 care, and she also attends a Devereaux program. At Devereaux, we're really fortunate we have many autism services to offer the community. So everything from an improved private school, which is the kind of thing that my daughter goes to a day school, but it's specialized in autism. And then we have community-based group homes or residential treatment. We also have acute services for those that are you know, in need of immediate services for challenging behaviors and things like that. We um, offer school consultation and family consultation. We have transition services, meaning we help our youth transition to adulthood. We have community-based services. We help with employment and helping them to train for employment or vocational opportunities um, and also find employment. And then um, we also have adult day programs if, you know, someone can't work full-time or, or part-time. And then we assist also with college and independent living. So we offer really the full continuum of services for those with autism. Since folks are going to be hearing a lot during the month of April about autism, can you give us a little bit of an overview as to exactly when we hear autism, what are we talking about? Sure, sure. 
So April is a big month for autism. It is um, Autism Awareness and Acceptance Month. And um, you will see that probably on TV and you'll hear it on ads and you'll hear people talking about it more, which for me as a mother and as a professional is a great thing. I like to um, make sure that people understand what autism is. But basically autism is a neurodevelopmental condition and it presents itself with a few different conditions. So usually there's some communication challenges involved. Perhaps the individual can't speak with words or um, they might have something called echolalia where they repeat phrases or things that they've heard that don't really instigate conversation on their own. They may have just social difficulties with being in groups or forming peer relationships, that kind of thing. Autism can also have challenging behaviors associated with it, whether that could be uh, running off or elopement. Um, it could be someone that just goes into tantrums out of frustration. Uh, some can have self-injurious behaviors. And I have lived that with my own daughter, and that's very painful as a parent to, to live through. And then the lastly is there's sort of some behaviors around, I would say, uh, obsession about specific things maybe. So someone that maybe focused only on you hear dinosaurs or they may have a great interest in airplanes and know everything there is about the history of airplanes and every kind of airplane. And so those kind of specific interests that may not always relate to um, everybody else or their peers. And that can also lead to some of that difficulty with relating to peers. So um, it's really just a, a different way of thinking about things. And it's, so it's considered a neurodevelopmental disability. When you're describing that, I'm hearing many other different things that could come in there, obsessive compulsive disorders. Mm -hmm. And so how would someone know and at what age? And we'll talk about your daughter, Annie, in just mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm, yeah. Um, yeah. But what age would someone who is a parent as yourself would, and if you want to bring Annie into this as well, Amy, that would be great. But how would a parent know that that is something that is, that is a concern in their child? At, at what age? How would, because there again, there's so many kids are kids. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And you're right. I mean, so we call those other things that can be involved with that autism diagnosis. We call those coexisting conditions. And most people with autism have some sort of coexisting conditions, but, you know, people are people and we're all like snowflakes. We're all very different. And so I would say, you know, and so are every individual who has autism, they're also snowflakes. So I will say for those um, children or adults that end up having autism that impacts really their communication and their daily functioning and that sort of thing, it's often easier to recognize that earlier in their life. Um, in my case, around 15 months old with my daughter, did I notice some different things about her? I was a busy mom of three babies, but my kids are three and a half years apart total. So, I, you know, I really was busy and didn't, I just thought maybe it was a different personality with her, but it turned out she had some global developmental delays, which then led us to look down the road to what else is going on. So she has, so she has an autism diagnosis. She also has an anxiety disorder. She has something called verbal apraxia, which she has all the words in her head, but it, the part of the brain that connects with the mouth doesn't kind of sync up. So it's very difficult for her to get the words out. So she does really well with alternative mode of communication, like 
an iPad or there's something called picture exchange communication system, which is little pictures that they can use to kind of show what they need. Some children and adults use sign language if they can't communicate in that way. The tricky part is then there's also these kids who develop beautifully and may seem a little quirky or may have these specialized interests in things, but um, are often not thought of as having autism until later in life. And we see this particularly with girls because girls tend to, unless you're affected like Annie, my daughter, um, they tend to have these great coping skills to make it through sort of, you know, that elementary school period and into middle school. Sometimes in middle school, high school, or college, we'll see some of these young women start to really break down with not being able to have those coping skills anymore when it comes to some of the more difficult nuances of life, like dating or like girl relationships with other women and that kind of thing, you know, friendship, that sort of thing. That's where we see it difficult for them. And so that's sometimes what will trigger leading to a diagnosis for for them as well. Similarly with boys and men, we can see that as well. It seems that girls tend to have this masking property a little bit more. And so we're finding out that, you know, right now it's one in 44 children in the United States have autism. And it's basically a four to one boys to girls ratio. But we're wondering now, research is showing that it perhaps is not that ratio and that the percentage of girls and women having autism is actually much higher, but we have missed that from a diagnostic perspective and identification perspective. And, you know, from the autistic women who I know that are grown up and can talk about their experiences, less about the diagnosis for them and more about how do I live my life and how do I function and teach me skills so that I have quality of life. Someone like my daughter, it's, it's also about quality of life, but it's really working on those basic skills of daily living skills and hygiene and understanding safety and things that make her happy but are different than what might make someone like me happy, for instance, working, right? My job I love, but that would not be something of interest or of the ability for someone with more profound autism like my daughter. What you're talking about then almost sounds as though there is a, a, a percentage of people with autism who may not be diagnosed until they are older because they're able to adapt and, as I think you said, almost hide exactly what's going on? Yeah, and I don't even know if they intentionally hide it. You're absolutely right. In fact, there's a whole bunch of people out there who just will never have a diagnosis. It's just who they are, right? That's part of who they are, and that may not matter to them. Sometimes having the diagnosis might make it easier. It allows you to um, access services such as those that we offer Devereaux to kind of help build skills and, and that kind of thing. But there are people with autism who lead very typical, I'll quote, normal and, you know, quote, lives that many of us would lead. They can go to college. They can have a full career. They have families and relationships and marriage if they want. And um, I mean, it's quite inspiring. And so it's less about the diagnosis as much as it is about um, understanding who they are and what they need really to be able to live a full life and a, a life that is meaningful to them. Well, when you're talking about all that, again, I'm sure that throughout the month of April, we're going to be hearing more about this. So 
if someone is listening at this point and they're saying, gee, what Amy is talking about kind of sounds like me or someone I know, is it ever too late to contact a place such as Devereaux and say, I think I might need some help? No, it's it's not ever. Um, and, uh, you know, if we can't service you at Devereaux, then we can help you find who can help you. I will say, be happy for people to contact me. You can look at Devereaux.org if you would like. And Devereaux is D-E-V-E-R-E-U-X dot org. Or you can contact me directly if you need assistance. That would be Amy, A-M-Y dot Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y at Devereaux.org. And I am happy to help you find what kind of services or assessments or that kind of thing that you need. It's important for people to realize that there there is no cutoff, that what the difference makes is when you have small children and autism is prevalent and obvious or semi-obvious because they're so different from their peers or unique in their in their way that an early diagnosis is definitely to their advantage. It allows them to, again, access services earlier. But we also know from research that the brain is more elastic at that point in time, and it can actually kind of change and adapt as they learn things. And so it gives them better skills as they grow older. For those that don't know until later in life, their brain has adapted you know, on its own and has done things that they need to to, to get get by and to do things that they want to. So there are adult programs that can help with, for instance, social skills, if that's a challenge for them or for supported employment, if, if working can be a difficult thing, either staying on task or interactions with colleagues or supervisors, that kind of thing. So there's lots of different ways that you can get help all throughout your life. And it's all dependent on that individual and their family to what they're open to helping. I'll say for the more complex cases where they do require more services, treating some of those coexisting conditions, like we mentioned, so ADHD, anxiety disorder, uh, verbal apraxia, um, any of those kinds of things, it's also really helpful to allow them to be able to learn and grow in the way you know that they need to to be more productive, rather than just focusing on only the autism. Is it possible then that, again, not ne- not even necessarily in children, but if we are looking toward into preteens, teens, and into adulthood, that there is a time when there is a lot of, as, as you mentioned with your own daughter, the frustration that can sometimes act out, that people mm-hmm. are maybe experiencing something, again, that might be looked at as a violence sort of, but it's more this frustration. And if that's the case, what can we do about that? Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, um, and it's sort of a scary reality of autism. Uh, You know, we know that as our children with autism get older, bigger kids, bigger problems, autism can be very misunderstood, particularly in the justice system or if police are unaware and if they are acting out and it's in a violent way and they can't self-identify as having autism, uh, my daughter would not be able to do that. She has a bracelet on her, um, a medical bracelet that identifies that so that someone, you know, a 
first responder could look at that and see that. But if someone can't self-identify, unfortunately, some of the outcomes of that are, are scary things like going to jail and getting arrested. And it can be quite difficult and, you know, traumatic for the individual and their family. So it's really important for people to reach out if they are experiencing um, and, and even the mental health issues that come along with for all of us during you know, the pandemic, um, those can be even heightened for individuals that may have other neurodevelopmental, you know, things going on. So if they're feeling depressed and they're finding it comes out with rage or um, that kind of thing, there's many different ways that you can treat that with behavioral interventions or medications. And But reaching out for sure to a professional is a very important thing. There's a couple kinds of professionals you can reach out to. So it's an organization like Devereaux, we're a large mental and behavioral health organization and we treat autism, but also intellectual developmental disorders. We treat emotional behavioral disorders. We offer a variety of services for a variety of different diagnoses. There are also medical doctors who you can reach out to. So a developmental and behavioral pediatrician is tends to be the, the doctor of choice for when you have a youth, a young child going through this, about age seven or eight and older, it's hard to get into one of those. So reaching out to an adolescent psychiatrist is a good idea uh, for adults. You can, and, and as well as psychologists, I'll say school psychologists can offer a lot of support as well. And then for adults, the same thing, a psychiatrist or a psychologist. It's really important that you get an assessment, I think, um, to understand if you have autism, if you're not sure. And then an ongoing, you know, clinician who can monitor and help you navigate just what what works for you, whether it is behavioral interventions or medication or um, some talk therapy or, uh, you know, there's many other kinds of, of therapeutic services that they can have that could assist them. Um, so they don't have those outbursts and so they don't end up being, you know, in sort of that justice system by accident. Is there any kind of test, medical or otherwise, that might lead you into an autism diagnosis? There sure are. Um, I mean, the gold standard has, it's called the ADOS. It's um, Autism Diagnostic Observation Scale, A-D-O-S. And um, it, it's Actually, there's it's the ADOS 2 now. There's a second version. That is sort of considered the gold standard, and it can be used with um, children and adults. It's harder to find, I think, adult providers who do assessments. It's easier to find it with the child providers. And the other part of that is with children, things tend to be covered by insurance more than it does with adults. So if you're late coming around to a diagnosis, Hopefully, you are either working or you're still under your parents' or family's insurance policy so that you can have some of that reimbursed because it can tend to be expensive. You can always do private pay for those families that can afford it. You know, that's that's another option, and that would be with that, that same group of clinicians that I mentioned before. So a psychiatrist, a psychologist, some social workers are able to do some evaluations and uh, the developmental and behavioral pediatrician. Amy, what else would you like us to know about autism, about Autism Awareness Month, and about Devereaux? Yeah, I just think it's important to, to know um, there's a lot of different perspectives from, from a parent perspective or family perspective to the individual perspective who has autism themselves and who are self-advocates. I think it's important to recognize for April that 
this is a time to sort of, I'm going to say celebrate autism. I, nobody wants to be looked at with pity and um, including parents. It can be a rough diagnosis for families or for individuals because they, you know, can have some tough times, but it doesn't um, mean that they're not going to have a wonderful life and a productive life. And so I think, you know, giving recognition and, and talking about it. And we, we, at Deborah, we're saying autism awareness and acceptance month because uh, we believe you can't truly accept and include the individuals with autism if you aren't aware of them. And so I think it's okay to ask questions and to become more familiar with it. There's many ways that you can support organizations like Devereaux through volunteer work or financially. And I just think it's a, it's a big month for many, many individuals throughout our country and our world because it's such a prevalent diagnosis these days. Almost everybody knows somebody with autism. Thank you for introducing us to Annie. Oh, you're welcome. I'm She's a doll. Better mention the other two. Oh, yes. She has two wonderful brothers. You're darn right. <laughs> uh, her brother, Ryan, is her little brother who's getting ready to go to college. And then she has a, a big brother who's already in college. He's a junior in college. And Annie's right in the middle. Annie's at a tricky age. She's at age 20. And I don't know if you're aware, Paula, but services at age 21, basically, in the autism world and for families, we call it the cliff because everything ends that they were entitled to as a child and um, the adult world of services is a whole different landscape a whole different funding stream much more limited and much more difficult to access and it frankly it's a very scary time for many people um, with autism and many of their families to try and figure out what pieces they can put together to for them to continue to have a supported, fulfilling life. And that's where some place like Devereaux comes in. Right. We offer many adult services. We have uh, we have a program called CAP or a Community Adult Autism Partnership Program, and they help adults become more independent and integrated into their local communities and learn advocacy skills. There's adult care homes and programs, day programs that keep them busy and um, they get to do fun social groups and outings, but with some supervision because they may need that the partner with them to help them be integrated into things and to understand what to do. Annie is like that. She needs some, you know, redirecting to stay on task with things and she needs a little bit of help with interpretation for some things because she also has an intellectual disability. Um, so, so that makes it a little bit more complex. We have transition programs. My point is, I think that having autism is not a, um, a negative or a death sentence in any means. It can be hard, especially for parents of young children when you're starting out to figure out struggle of things. But it's, uh, there are so many rewarding and fulfilling things that come from the, the journey. And I, I know if I had heard that as a young parent, I probably would have rolled my eyes because I was like, how do I just get to the next day? You know, um, but it does, it, when you put in the hard work, it really makes a difference and you'll see some great, great things happen and really amazing things. Annie has shown me that I um, will never limit her to anything. And she surprises me, you know, daily with, the amazing things she can do. She and her brothers are wonderful together. And the support of a wonderful mom. You're awesome, Amy. Ah, ah, thanks. Oh, I try. Not an easy job. As everybody knows, all those moms out there, it can be, it can be hard and bad. But yes, you got to have support of family or some sort of community support. We call those natural supports. So 
or brothers, your neighbors, it could be church group or support group, your friends, your, uh, you know, immediate family and extended family. Those are all called natural supports, and we encourage everybody to be using those as much as they can um, to the extent that they can to help them, you know, kind of do the journey with them. Well, you give her hugs and uh, you're going to come back. You're coming back. I would love to come back, Paula. Thank you. I'd love that. Thanks again to Amy Kelly, National Director of Family Engagement at Devereaux. Next, Autism in the Courts on Special Edition. Pennsylvania Supreme Court Justice Kevin Daugherty saw what could happen with autism in a courtroom, so he created the Autism in the Courts Task Force. He's with us on Special Edition. Justice Daugherty, thank you so much for joining us today. Nice to have you here with me on Special Edition. And you are involved in something that so many people across Pennsylvania are just starting to realize is out there. The Autism in the Courts Task Force. Where did all this come about? Well, I can share with you, probably in the early 2000s when I was a trial judge in the family court in Philadelphia, it was a delinquency case. And after I convicted the child, I now had to determine whether the child needed treatment supervision. In my questioning of the child, his behavior appeared to me what I had perceived as being belligerent, uh, if not downward downright rude. And I'm thinking he's incorrigible. And the concern is I did not necessarily want to judge him to Lincoln because it had given him a felony record for the rest of his life. He was over 14 in Pennsylvania. That being said, as I was becoming somewhat terse, his mom asked to see me on the side and shared with me that he had Asperger's. And I have to tell you, I thought I was a forward thinking judge coming from Philadelphia. It was like a punch in my stomach. I had no understanding or clue what Asperger's was. So it really, really caused me to have a a, a moment of self-reflection and, and self-humiliation that I thought, here I am doing the right thing, and I'm not even aware of autism. So at that point, I decided to educate myself. And then uh, with the lack of information that I realized I had, I was fortunate to ultimately become the head of the Philadelphia Family Court. So I educated all 25 of our judges that worked with me. And through that, um, I've learned that education, self-education leads to judicial reform. And I thought that is where we're going to go. And it was from that that I educated my probation officers in the Philadelphia uh, juvenile area, as well as all uh, hearing officers. And then I was blessed to have ascended to the uh, or get elected to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. So I figured what I did in Philadelphia, I'd like to take for the whole Commonwealth. And from what I understand, the way that you went about this was a little unique and something that a lot of people wouldn't expect. A listening tour? What, what was that all about? Well, you know, I, I, I guess uh, once I became an injustice, I realized the secret getting ahead is getting started. So, but we were uh, confronted by the pandemic, as you know. So what I decided to do was uh, in, to, to, to advance this message and to learn what are the issues through the Commonwealth, we developed a virtual tour and we did the four quadrants of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And we invited 
any and everyone to take part. Those who are on the spectrum, the parents of children on the spectrum or adults on the spectrum, we had over 60 plus or so justice system stakeholders. We probably had about 1,200 attendees. I know I had over 200 plus judges. Uh, We had great media following and um, it, it was very interesting and I thought it'd be best to listen, to learn what our people need in Pennsylvania as opposed to espouse what we think we should provide them. And it has been incredibly educational. You know, and as as I often learn, I said, when you educate one person, you can change a life. But when you educate many, you can change the world. Well, I wasn't going for the world. I was just going for Pennsylvania. Well, it's a start. Pennsylvania, yeah, I, think, got that right. I think in your case is a start. So what did you learn? I learned that there's a dearth of information. First and foremost, I learned that there, for example, one in 56 adults are diagnosed as, uh, as being on the spectrum. I also learned that one in 44 children as, as a result of the 21 CDC uh, statistics, one in 44 children are diagnosed. Yet I'm in a system in which the majority of families and people who come before us are not socioeconomically privileged. So I thought the operative word was diagnosed. If one in 44 are diagnosed, how many of the children and adults that come before us are not diagnosed because of the lack of insurance or the lack of awareness? So uh, what I really learned was that there is a plethora of resources, but they're located in more more likely than not urban areas so that our rural areas of Pennsylvania were not having the the opportunity to access those resources. I also learned that this is not something that can be diagnosed like bipolar or, or conduct disorder. Can't, it can't be done by a quick evaluation. It's a lengthy and long time process. So I needed to learn so that I could teach our judges who can work in conjunction with the families before us and, 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 and connect our people to the resources available. Wow. That's an awful lot to learn. And then to have to turn that over and put it into practice. That must have also been a very interesting road. Well, it's been a long two years, but um, I have to tell you, it's well worth it. What we've done is after we did the virtual tour in July of 21, I gathered with our major stakeholders. And my stakeholders have happened to be the, the Department of uh, Human Services uh, uh, Bureau of Autism. We're working with Drexel University, what's called the AJ Institute on Autism. And and, and so we're, we're working. We we met, at, I'd say it was July in Hershey, Pennsylvania. It was at the state trial judges conference that I was able to convene the other stakeholders. We sat down and we thought, let's process and, and let's sift through the, the massive information and let's pull out the salient points, the repetitive issues. And as a result of that, we created a task force an autism task force. And what we're hoping to do with the task force is to continue working in conjunction with all these departments throughout Pennsylvania and develop what we could call as a county roadmap. 
I want it, I think it, it's apparent that many of the challenges facing the intersectionality of ASD with different facets of the justice system. I think many of this are due to a lack of resources or, or, or socioeconomics. And I think that the child in Philadelphia on the spectrum may have the same needs as an adult in Altoona, Pennsylvania. And I think Pennsylvanians are deserving of equal access to justice, even if you fall within the spectrum. If we're going to be a just system, we have to educate. I guess what I realize is one doesn't have to operate with great malice to do great harms. The absence of that empathy and an understanding or sufficient. And I think that our system sadly has an absence of empathy, but more so understanding. And I think this is going to do great for uh, not only people on the spectrum, but it's going to it transcend and work with other intellectual disabilities and mental illnesses and, and everybody who comes to our courthouse. Wow. That is, it's amazing how I can see exactly where you're coming from, that it is going to spread. And you mentioned the task force. And here, our listeners are well uh, familiar with uh, Jennifer Rogers, who is on the Court of Common Pleas in Luzerne County, as well as um, we also have a member of the task force from Lackawanna County, Carrie Browning, she's the deputy director mm-hmm. of the Department of Human Services yeah. of the uh, Office of Youth and Family Services in Lackawanna County. So I could tell you they are two rock stars for NEPA. Oh, I bet. I absolutely, I, I definitely would agree with that, and that's why it's so nice to hear that there are that you're reaching out. You're actually coming out of the courtroom into so many other communities and so many other areas. Well, it has to be a conversation, but let me say, it's a conversation that has to be had. You know, if we really want to dispense justice, then it has to be dispensed so that the people who come before us understand it. And I've, I've always said that we judges, we're only as good as the information we receive. If you're someone who may not understand the social cues as I do, or may be on the spectrum, it's not fair for us to stand in judgment without understanding how they see the world. That's very true. And you don't know until you walk in someone's shoes exactly the way they see the world. So where are you hoping to take this now? You've got a great start here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Do I hear you maybe knocking on doors just to kind of pass it along to other states? Oh, well, you know, they say yeah, you can't clean someone else's house until you clean your own first. So I'm still in the process of cleaning our house. But yes, we are starting to get uh, some attention from other states because I believe we are the first court in the country that is trying to address the need of autism. What we really need to do is start to collect relevant data. We can't. We can tell you anecdotally from our personal experiences if we had an adult or a child in front of us who are who has been through our system but we don't have hard raw numbers we need to collect that data because i firmly believe that we have a substantial number of uh, adults in custody and children in placement and families torn asunder as a result not of bad parenting but as a result of a lack of appropriate understanding as a result of being on spectrum 
So our listeners, and I just think it's unfair. Our listeners who are hearing you today, Justice Daugherty, um, what can they do? Can they get in touch with you? Can they get in touch with their the local folks in their communities? What can they do in order to help you out? What they could do, what they can do is they can contact their local courts. What we're trying to do is we're developing a network through the counties and through their Department of Human Services. But since I'm from the court system, you can reach out to your court system, to the court administrator. You can send a letter to me uh, or attempt to contact me. I can't promise that I'll always be at the receiving end of the telephone call with my job. But I, I, I can promise that uh, everything that is sent to us is, is reviewed and and. and and, and we try to vet it. We have the Bureau of Autism headed by Anina Wall. She's uh, She is the central person in Pennsylvania that deals with autism. And we're working hand in glove with her. People can reach out to their office and share. Unfortunately, I can't get my hands involved in the day-to-day issues regarding a court case. But if there's a miscarriage of justice based upon a lack of understanding, I need to know that. We need to know that. And let me give you just a brief example. How often judges are blamed for not knowing or being not empathetic, yet what could happen is that one of our employees in their quest to do their job may not allow parties inside a courtroom because they were not subpoenaed or they're not the named parties. That could exclude maybe someone, a social worker or an advocate or a TSS worker from entering that courtroom who will share with the judge the needs and concerns of the individual that's standing before that judge. We have to get the rank and file employee in our courthouses to understand that every life is important and every issue must be addressed. It's up to the judge to decide who's coming in. And that's imper- that, that's an imperative uh, issue that I have because I know through my own experiences that I've been told or received letters saying, oh, you want to entertain my, my, my concerns when I wasn't even aware because maybe a court staff thought they were doing the right thing by precluding someone from coming in the courtroom. Does that make sense to you? It certainly does. It sounds like you're coming off the bench and down into the rest of the courtroom in order to get the information that you need in order to be fair when you go back up on the bench. Yep, that, that's the beauty of being an elected judge. We are, we are of the people. Well, and I think that this is probably one small part that is going to start to make a big difference because just when you have the opportunity, as I do today, to speak with a Pennsylvania Supreme Court justice, I'm a little bit, well, kind of awed in the fact that you carry such power, but on the same time, it's also wonderful to know that you are of the people And what you're trying to do is to help all the people. And sometimes that doesn't translate well. I I agree with you. I guess they say justice is blind until we judges give it eyes. Well, I'm certainly so excited and very happy, uh, Justice Daugherty, that you were able to join us today and get the word out. So I'm just going to give you the last word. What would you like our listeners here in Northeast Pennsylvania to know about the Autism in Courts Task Force? 
I'd like them to know that there are resources within your county ready, willing, and able to provide assistance. And if there's not, we need to know about it. And what we're doing is if you have a concern, you reach out to your local uh, community uh, county court or you reach to the Bureau of Autism and I am the justice in uh, this court. I'm based in Philadelphia. Reach out to me or my staff. Thanks again to Pennsylvania Supreme Court Justice Kevin Daugherty. And remember, April is Autism Awareness Month. Next, Good Nutrition on Special Edition. Now on Special Edition, Good Nutrition Tips from Dawn Webster, Advanced Practice Clinician Director with MedExpress. Some of the basic facts that, you know, we really need to touch on are people that eat healthy, They tend to live longer and they have lower risk for serious health issues and health issues being type 2 diabetes, obesity, and heart disease. And then you also have to remember that people that already have these chronic diseases can actually help manage them and even be able to prevent complications by improving their eating and improving the quality of the food they eat. Now, how do we do that? In general, Americans, adults, and kids do not consume enough fruits and vegetables in their diet. And when we say fruits and vegetables, what we're really talking about are the things in the produce aisle that are fresh, that you have to wash and you have to cut and take the extra work. You have to look at the fruit from that perspective. When we say we want you to eat fruit, we mean fresh apples, fresh grapes. They do have a ton of sugar in them, but it's not added sugar. So it's It's not as bad for you as the foods that have sugar that is added. Naturally producing sugar is easier to break down by the body and it is healthier for you. Now there's also fruits in general that are lower in sugar and are generally healthier for people that do have to watch their sugar. So those are berries like strawberries, blackberries, and even tomatoes. Most people don't realize that tomatoes are fruit, but that's another one that's good for you. So what else do we have to watch out for? Besides fruits, the other things that you have to watch out for that you can eat but you have to make sure you're eating the right ones, are oils. So there's healthy oils and there's non-healthy oils. The vegetable oils and the natural oils like avocado oil, those are the healthier oils, the healthy fats that you want to cook with, that you want to add to your food because you do need those healthy fats. They actually help increase your vitamin absorption. That's why they say if you eat a salad with no dressing, you're really not going to absorb the nutrients that you would get by adding just a little bit of a healthy oil like avocado oil and some vinegar or low-fat or low-sugar salad dressing. Fats equate to protein, and we certainly do need protein. So we want lean proteins. So those are lean meats like chicken and lean seafood like salmon, eggs, beans, peas, lentils, even soy products like nuts, seeds, things like that. Those are the healthy lean proteins that we want you to eat. Now we're going to go into those carbs. So when you're eating grains, you want to make sure that they're whole grains. So when you're buying bread, 
it's better for you to buy the the 24 grain, the 12 grain, the bread that has all those nuts. And when when you pick them up, they all fall in your lap. So those are the the carbs that are actually good for you. You want to avoid the carbs from white flour, like white bread and hamburger buns. Peanut butter. Peanut butter is another one of those good healthy fats, but there's also protein. You do have to watch it. There's some that is, they have added saturated fats. Natural peanut butter is better for you. Sometimes it's a little bit tricky because you have to stir it because it can settle, but it's one of those things that in moderation is just fine. You have to watch your intake and you have to watch portion size. So the newest dietary guidelines for Americans give recommendations based on food groups not specific food. For example, one of the diets that a lot of people talk about right now is the keto diet. We just don't know enough about it. In theory, it works by helping people lose weight, but by eating all those saturated fats, we're not really quite sure what that's doing to your body on the inside. So so we don't recommend diets like that. We recommend diets in moderation. Should you be counting the things that you're eating? We want you to use kind of a general rule of thumb. And there are certain numbers that we want you to keep in mind. So for example, sodium. Sodium is salt and that is an important one. So we want adults eating less than 2,300 milligrams of sodium per day, that cut in half for kids. Um, In terms of added sugars, we want the added sugars less than 10% of your calories. Less than 10% of the calories you take in every single day should be saturated fats. Saturated fats are the bad ones. But in general, we do want you to have a well-balanced diet and we want you to make sure that you're eating a little bit in each food group. We don't want you to cut anything out. We don't want you saying, okay, I can't eat any fat at all because that's not, that's not good for you either. There is an app that it's called um, MyPlate and you enter in your age, your gender, your weight, your physical activity level, and it's going to give you recommendations and it's consumer friendly. And it's going to give you an idea of what you want to eat well-balanced to give you a more healthy eating routine. And that's the key to honestly start slow. So you don't want to just wake up one day and say, all right, I'm eating 2000 calories or less per day, under 50 grams of carbs. You know, you want to take it slow. You want to kind of do some research and then start incorporating these healthy choices into your diet, into your grocery trips. And, And really that's the best way to make sure you're going to succeed. Thanks again to Dawn Webster, Advanced Practice Clinician Director with MedExpress. There's a job fair on Tuesday. Carrie Miscavige, Times Leader Media Group Publisher, has details. Carrie, the folks at the Times Leader are always out there to help. And what do you have coming up now that's going to help the folks here in Northeast Pennsylvania? Thanks, Paula. We are having our annual spring career fair this coming Tuesday at the Mohegan Sun Arena. The Mohegan Sun Arena is the place to be. When are we going to be there and what are we going to see? And welcome back. You're in person. I know we are in person. We're excited to do this live show uh, on Tuesday and we will be at the arena between 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock. It's free parking, free entry. We have over 60 area employers waiting to hire. So good things. Do you have, an, for instance, a sneak peek of some of the, the employers that are going to be there? Absolutely. We have all categories of business, which is exciting. We have uh, all major hospitals will be there. So major healthcare employers. 
we have large manufacturing and trucking, and uh, we know they're hiring at some really high per hour rates, so they will be there. We have multiple uh, media companies that will be there, so we have sales and professional jobs as well. And just a well-rounded group. Um, actually, some of these businesses I didn't even know were in northeastern Pennsylvania. So how exciting is that? It has been a while, as you said, because COVID brought all of this to the virtual platform. So for folks who are going to be going for maybe the first time, what should they bring with them? You know, uh, they just need to, to come to the arena at uh, 10 o'clock, between 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock. Any time between those times is just fine because those employers will be there that entire time to greet you and maybe uh, have an updated resume on you that you'd like to share with the employers. Uh, this kind of fair is really interactive. The employers like to get into conversations with a pers- uh, prospective job seeker. So it's a great time to start that relationship and possibly get that new career that you're looking for. A lot of places that we've been hearing are ready to hire on the spot. I think that might be happening here as well. I do think so. Um, that happened the last live career fair that we had in the fall, which was really exciting. And so we're expecting that same kind of interaction again, hiring on the spot. It, it happens and uh, uh, these employers need, need to make those hires very quickly. All right, Carrie, I'm not going to hold you because I know you're a busy lady. Give us again the details, the where, the when, everything else we need to know. Great, Paula. It's the Times Leader Media Group Live Career Fair. It's at the Mohegan Sun Arena this coming Tuesday, April 5th from 10 o'clock to 2 p.m. All free parking and free entry. And if you visit timesleader.com slash register now, you can pre-register for some prizes that we're giving away to job seekers coming to the fair. That's timesleader.com slash register now. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas... Phoenix, and Rhode Island. Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.